So, you know, we had a we had a good time. All right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, let's rock and roll. This is chapter 584 of Shulchan Aruch of the of the Alter Rebbe the Rav. And 584, he, he starts from. So we're in the laws of Rosh Hashanah, but he starts from laws of waking up in the morning. That's section number one. It goes through all the things you do every day: Shabbat, Pesach, and now we're up to Rosh Hashanah in in section 584. And it contains nine, nine, uh, par- nine sections. And what is it about? It's about the order of the reading of the Torah on Rosh Hashanah, and that has nine seifim, nine sections. Iran, hey how would you uh, translate seif? Um, um, seifim. Well, sections or, yeah, sections. Yeah, like if there was a contract with different... Uh, would that be Seifim? Yeah. Okay. All right, Aleph. Ein omrim Hallel We do not recite Hallel. Hallel, of course, is the prayer of thanksgiving that we recite on holidays on Rosh Hashanah. Nor do we say it on Yom Kippur. Why? The Alter Rebbe always gives us the why. Unlike the Rambam, the Alter Rebbe gives us the reasons. Because the Holy One, blessed be He, your Sheva Kisidin, is sitting on the throne of judgment. The books of the living, the books of the not living, are open in front of Him. How are you going to, at that time, start singing praises? It's not an appropriate thing to say or do. So, this is straight out of the Talmud. That's the source of this. Uh, tractate Arachin and, and Tractate Rosh Hashanah. And the reason that is given for it, that comes also from the Gemara there. Now here about the Rebbe discusses a, a corner case. If you're saying Tehillim, you recite Psalms. There are people who recite Psalms every single day. And in the Psalms, you have Hallel. That's where Hallel comes from. It comes from the Psalms. So he says like this, people who say psalms every single day, as is Chabad custom, we finish it every 30 days, and what they were saying in the psalms happened to be Hallel, and it was Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, they are allowed to read it as they would if it was any other day, even though it's Hallel. Why? They're not saying it in a way of song, but rather rak but rather in a way of beseeching and a way of request. I'm sorry, I, I mistranslated before. What he's saying is God is sitting on the throne of judgment and you're gonna sing. It's not a time for singing. It's more of a um, it's more of a serious time, not an appropriate time for the singing. Okay. Base, Seif Beit, and it's customary to say Avinu Malkenu Al Haseder in its traditional order. Avinu Malkenu, etc. Okay, so the author is basically going from after Shmon Esrei, after Amida. What happens after Amida? So typically on a holiday, after Amida, you would go to Halal. Page 307, everyone please rise. But Rosh Hashanah, we're not going to go to Halal. What are we going to do? 
says the Alter Rebbe, the thing you do after Amida is Avinu Malkeinu. Avinu Malkeinu. You recite the whole thing. There are those who skip on Rosh Hashanah the first Avinu Malkeinu of all the Avinu Malkeinos, which is our father, our king, we have sinned before you. This is our custom. So we, when, you, when you say, when do you say Avinu Malkeinu? You say Avinu Malkeinu, of course, on Rosh Hashanah. You say it on every fast day, you say Avinu Malkeinu. You say it throughout the 10 days of repentance from Rosh Hashanah through Yom Kippur. When else do we say Avinu Malkeinu? Any other time? I think that's it. 10 days of repentance. And on fast days. You say it on fast days. So, on Rosh Hashanah, the custom is that we skip the first Avinu Malkeinu, which talks about sin. Because on Rosh Hashanah, why should I say it? The Alter say, We do not do confessions on Rosh Hashanah. We don't talk about our sins on Rosh Hashanah. Why? Because it's a day of judgment. We don't want to give anything for the prosecutor, the accuser in the heavenly court. We don't want to give him any ammo, any ammunition. Say, oh, we sinned. So we keep it quiet. Keep quiet about the sins. Don't say anything. The attorney tells you, just be quiet. I'll handle it. So, let me make this full screen so that we have total immersion. I find that to be a great tip, by the way. If you're ever working and you want to focus, go into full screen so you can't see all your tabs. However, even though we don't talk, we don't say we have sinned before you, it doesn't mean that you can't mention sin at all. For example, if there are verses that contain within them the mention of sin, that's not a problem. There is no issue with that. Because you're again, you're not saying it in a manner of confession. You're just reciting a verse. So it's an interesting parallel here that there's reciting hollow the verses of hollow as a reading of psalms is not considered singing, and mentioning a verse or reading a verse that contains within it the mention of sin is not considered confession. You're reading Torah. Even the confession, literal confession. You don't have to restrain from that during the time of the blowing of the shofar. If you remember in our machzor, where we have the the blowing of the shofar, in, there's there's three sections, right? We do like a three 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 um, three section set, and so in between the, the 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 after the first and after the second, it says Yisvade Balachash that you should confess silently. So now the Alter Rebbe is kind of addressing this question. We've said you're not supposed to confess on Rosh Hashanah and bring up your sins. Why are you able to do that and are supposed to do that during the blowing of the shofar? Says the Alter Rebbe, gives the reason, because the, the Satan, the prosecuting angel, he's mixed up at that time. He's confounded at that time. So it, it's not going to be a problem to mention your sins 
because the Satan will not be able to use that against you because he is otherwise occupied and entirely confounded by the blowing of the shofar. So not only you can confess during the shofar, davar, it's proper to do so silently in between the sets of tkiot. So this is from the from the Kabbalah, from Priyat Chaim, from the Arizal, cited by the Shalah, that you're supposed to confess silently at that time. That's why you find it in the Alter Rebbe's Machzor, since the Alter Rebbe always follows the Arizal. Gimel. Nobody's saying that. Sorry, Rabbi. Yeah. The, the video, the confession, is that uh, we're talking about uh, a text that you would read or it's anything that is on your heart? It's a great question. I don't know exactly know the answer. But generally, vidui confession refers to the ashamnu bagadnu, ashamnu bagadnu, gazalnu, barnu, devinu, vishanu. That's what vidui typically means. Does it refer also to, in this case, to one's particular sins? I don't know. Our research department is on it. Gimel. Tzarich lomar slach umachal. In the Avinu you're supposed to say slach umachal. Forgive. Mechei v'ha erase and, and remove our sins. So this is getting into the technicalities of how the nusach, how the, the words are supposed to be phrased. And he, and he lays out the rule, the principle, that first you ask for something small, and then you ask for something bigger. You don't go for the big thing first, and then ask for something smaller. Let's go to number hey. We do not recite Avinu Malkeinu Bishabbat. A lot of people are disappointed. Whenever Rosh Hashanah comes out on Shabbos and we skip it, hey, what happened to Avinu Malkeinu? That's what I came to show for. I wanted to hear Avinu Malkeinu. Sorry. On Shabbos, we don't say Avinu Malkeinu. Why? It's forbidden to request your needs on Shabbat. As we learned last class, we talked about that as well by Hashkacha Pratit, by Divine Providence, that the reason you're not supposed to ask for your needs on Shabbat is because we don't want to remind of our, ourselves of our needs on Shabbat. We want to be in a good mood. We don't want to be anxious. We don't want to be sad. So we don't ask for our needs. We have a shorter Amidah. We don't ask for sustenance, for healing, and all these things. And Avinu Malkeinu, the text, contains a lot of requests for our needs and therefore we skip it entirely on Shabbat even if it's Friday and Friday afternoon going into you know, going into um, into into Shabbat even then where it's not yet Shabbat it's just going into Shabbat already you don't say Avinu Malkeinu that's I mean that's amazing I mean, that's, I, I would ask a question. My question would be, if the reason that you don't say Avinu Malkeinu is because you're not supposed to ask for your needs on Shabbat, then why can't you say it at the Mincha before Shabbat when you're asking for your needs in that Amidah? That's a, that's a weekday prayer. 
that you say. So, anybody know the answer to that or think of can explain that? It's a good question, no? Research department is on it. Vaita Gegangin says he says the Alta Rebbe number six. marichin and Rosh Hashanah, the custom is to 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 extend the prayer with these various various liturgical songs, ubitfilois, and with prayers ad chatzois hayoyim lechol hapachot until midday at least. You know when we had the heat wave a couple years ago, we got up very early and we davened early in the morning. So we because we had to daven outdoors, it was COVID and so forth. So uh, we probably finish before midday, but usually we don't. Usually we finish the services um, around 1.30ish, maybe even later. If it comes out on Shabbos, then you shouldn't go past Chatzos. Chatzos is midday, and this is, of course, not 12, but rather at the actual midday. If it's a weekday, not Shabbat, then you can go beyond midday. Bamed Varamamurim says the Alter When is this true? When is the above true? We're talking about songs and poems and liturgical hymns. But if you're just singing melodies, don't go past midday. Why Kivin Shuhu Yomto? Because it is a holiday, and you're supposed to celebrate with eating and drinking. And you can't do that if the prayer, the, the, the if the prayers are going on and on. Therefore, you should stop. You should if you're going with prayers and so forth. Okay, so that overrides the eating, and the eating could take place a little bit later. But if it's just singing, that shouldn't override the eating and the drinking, celebrating Rosh Hashanah through a festive meal. So we went into already six seifim of this chapter. We still didn't get to. The Torah reading, which is the title of the chapter. So now we get to it, number seven. We take out two Torah scrolls on Rosh Hashanah. In the first Torah, we, we call up five gentlemen for five aliyahs. And we read the section from Genesis which talks about the birth of Isaac, Sarah getting pregnant and having Isaac. And we read from that point all the way up to the story of the Akedah, the binding of Isaac. Why do we read this section on Rosh Hashanah? It was on Rosh Hashanah that Sarah conceived. If it occurs on Shabbos, then you take what is normally read over five aliyahs. On Shabbos, you're supposed to have seven aliyot, seven people called up to the Torah, besides the Mafter. So you take those five sections and you cut them up a little thinner and you turn it into seven sections. So if you always see in the Mafter, it says Levi, or third aliyah, and if it's Shabbat, this is this. It changes, it changes it up. On Yom Tovs, on holidays, Sukkot, Pesach, Rosh Hashanah, we have five people called to the Torah. On Yom Kippur, we have six. Shabbos, you have seven. Cholomoyed, you have four. Rosh Chodesh, you have four. 
And Monday and Thursdays and Mincha and Shabbos, you have three. So it could be three, four, five, six, or seven. The Maftir is, is basically the eighth Aliyah. We pick up the first Torah, you know, wrap it up, put it away, or sit down with it. And now we open the second Torah, and we do the Haftorah. The Haftorah comes from, I'm sorry, the Maftir. The Maftir is the part you read from the Torah, and the Haftorah is the part you read from the Prophets. You read from Parshas Pinchas, section of Pinchas, where it talks about Rosh Hashanah, in the seventh month. Rosh Hashanah is in the seventh month from Nisan. Nisan here, Sivan Tamas of Elul Tishrei, number seven. Umaftir, and then the Haftorah is Bitchilas Sefer Shimuel, at the beginning of the, of the book of Samuel. Ad Vyonim Keremishichai, until this is from the words of Hannah, right, the mother of Shmuel, where she says this prayer. And she, the end of her prayer is, May God raise high the standard of His Anointed One, the horn, the strength of His Anointed One. I believe it's referring to King David and to Mashiach. And why do we read this as, a, as our Haftorah for the first day of Rosh Hashanah? Because also Chana, she too conceived on Rosh Hashanah. And of course, Hannah and uh, Hannah and, and the mother of Samuel, she has, gives birth to Samuel, the prophet. And of course, Hannah and Sarah, mother of Isaac, were both barren women by nature, couldn't have children, and miraculously conceived on Rosh Hashanah. Now, we had given a class once about Hannah and her whole story when her prayer and how she came into the tabernacle and she was praying and, and Ailey, the high priest, thought that she was drunk and it, so it turns out that the Haftorah is all about prayer. So that's an added element to the, to the, to the connection between the Haftorah and Rosh Hashanah. is not just that Hannah was, was remembered on this day and she was conceived on this day, but this is the, the Haftorah is all about prayer, which is the theme of Rosh Hashanah. As we explained then at length, see above. Should have it recorded, I hope. There are places. So here now we get to the Gabai, Gabai rules. Who do you call, who gets an Aliyah on Rosh Hashanah? So the first thing he says is that there are some places that have the custom that the Torah, that the, the person who's going to blow the shofar later in the service, he should be one of the five that are called up to the Torah. There are some places, some synagogues, some communities, that also the person who is going to be leading Musaf later in the program, that he should get an aliyah. And this latter um, custom also applies to Yom Kippur, that whoever is going to be leading the Musaf on Yom Kippur, he should get an aliyah on Yom Kippur. And I presume that the reason for that is because these people, both the person read, uh, uh, blowing the shofar and the person who's going to lead the musaf are acting as agents of the congregation. They have a big job. So we want to elevate them to the highest place as our, as our uh, shluchim, as our agents, because we want good agents. And when you get an aliyah, what does aliyah mean? Aliyah means an elevation. 
when you get called up to the Torah, you're literally having an elevation, a spiritual elevation. So we want to elevate these two people since they're going to be working very hard for us and um, we want to empower them as much as we can before they get to their big job, the blowing of the shofar and the leading of the Musaf. Any questions or comments on what we talked about so far? The floor is open. Okay. Keep going. Alter Rebbe's unstoppable. Wait, wait, wait. I, I do have a question. So, so when, when was this uh, architected? When was the service architected this way? So in, terms of the, uh, in, in terms of the choice, choice parshas and the, the, the Elias? It's a great question. I would assume, though I don't know for sure, that this goes back to the men of the Great Assembly. So this goes back to the time um, towards the end of the Second Temple era and the destruction of the, of the Second Temple where the sages of the time, the, the, so this is before the destruction of the Second Temple, where they foresaw the Jews going into exile and set things up. The prayer book in general, the prayer book is set up by the men of the Great Assembly and that includes all of the prayer services for the holidays and how that would work and how the Torah reading would work and so forth. But it's the, what we read in the Torah on the holidays it may precede the men of the Great Assembly, but I'm not sure. But certainly by then, I would say. Ron. Uh, Rabbi, I'm sorry, I lost my computer overheated or something, I rebooted. So on number three, I'm having trouble unpacking. It says a transgression is more serious than a sin. Right, so I, I kind of glossed over that one because it was kind of a technical thing. So, um... Right, because there, um, there are different types of sins. There are sins that are done by accident, right? That's, that's a, uh, a chatat. A chatat is something that you do by accident. That's a chait, right? We bring the chatat. If somebody mistakenly did a, a, a sin, they bring a, a, a sacrifice called a chatat. A pesha, this is, um, this is more deliberate. This is a person who knew exactly what he was doing, and he did it anyway. That's a pesha. Poshea, Iran. What would a poshea be in in, uh, in in modern Hebrew? Do we have that? Well, criminal. But <laughs> yeah, it's criminal. It's a criminal yeah. act. So, in, in that comes from the from the original Hebrew, which pesha means very deliberate uh, sin. So that's why it's worse than a chet, which is, is something that okay, you, especially in Hasidus, it talks about chet. You, you, when you miss the mark, it's also called a chet. It's a, it's a much lesser uh, sin. Therefore, you're saying, going to say that one first. Right? Wait, transgression. transgression seems like a very bad word to use, I think. Things are, you know, transgression is right. pretty... Right, right, right. I, I, th I think that um, there's, they're missing over here a, uh, you know, a footnote to explain to explain yeah. what, I, what I just explained because just transgression or sin doesn't really convey, you know, deliberate or, or, uh, or not deliberate. Right, that's why he says, Ufesha gadol mechatat. Okay, any other questions, okay, comments? Thank you. No problem. <clears throat> I think we may be able to finish this chapter. This is amazing. Number nine. Here we get into scheduling conflicts and issues. Im yesh tinok blamul if there is a child who was born eight days before Rosh Hashanah, if Rosh Hashanah is the eighth day from his birth, let's say, he's going to have his bris. 
on Rosh Hashanah. Exciting. We do not wait to circumcise him until after the prayers, which is typically when a circumcision happens. You do the morning prayer, and then the baby comes out, you give him a bris. Why don't we do that on Rosh Hashanah? Mishum, because this is a major principle in mitzvahs, which is zrizin, the people who are eager, people who are eager to fulfill the mitzvahs who are, who are on top of things, that's reason. Makdim in the mitzvah, they want to do the mitzvah as early as possible, they don't want to push it off. This is why a bris, you're supposed to do early in the morning, unless you think you're going to get a bigger crowd later, that's already an exception, but the, but the straightforward thing is, you do it first thing in the morning, I have a bris to do, what am I, why should I wait, why should I push it off? You circumcise him after the reading of the Torah. Before sounding the shofar. Why? Why at that exact moment? So he already said that you don't want to wait till the end of prayer because we don't want to push it off for so long. We want to get this done. This is a big mitzvah. But he's now addressing, well, why particularly at this point? Why right before the blowing of the shofar? Why not at a different time that is not the end of prayer? Says the Alter Rebbe, through sounding of the shofar, God remembers the binding of Isaac. Why does the sounding of the shofar remind God of the binding of Isaac? Because after Isaac was speared from being slaughtered, God provided the ram and that ram, the ram that we blow on Rosh Hashanah is to remind us of the ram's horn of that ram that was slaughtered in place of Isaac. So what does that have to do with the bris? Therefore, toiv hamila bris avraham We want to have this beautiful convergence of the covenant of Abraham, the bris, the circumcision into the covenant of Abraham, along with the akedah of Yitzchak. That's like a major major explosion of holiness and a great thing to do on Rosh Hashanah. And now, as often happens with the Alter Rebbe Shulchan Aruch, you think you know it, then comes the next paragraph. When do we say these words? When does the above apply? So the, the, the qualifiers come afterwards. It sounds like very final. It? No, it's not final. But when as we say these words, Makam Shemol and Bebeisakneses, when the bris is going to take place in the shul. But in places where the custom is that the circumcision takes place in the private home, then you wait till davening is over, everybody goes home, and you do the bris then. You're not going to interrupt the services to go home and do the bris and then come back to finish up Musaf. That is from the Knesses Hagdoila cited in Mogin Avraham. Wow. We finished the so, whole chapter about together. So I'm just wondering how this would work. So you're at Rosh Hashanah, right? You've done the Torah reading. You've got that critical moment before you're blowing the shofar. And you stop everything. <laughs> and you have a circumcision in the back. I assume. Well, maybe in the front. I don't know. In the front. No, I think in the huh? front. In the front. Right. In the front. So you yeah. wheel the kid in. You you bring it. You just do it all right then and there. Exactly. Exactly. Powerful. 
Powerful. With God's help, maybe we'll be lucky this this uh, Rosh Hashanah to uh, to fulfill it. With about Yom Kippur? Bris on Yom Kippur? Um, you still do it, right? You still do you it, still yeah. Do. yeah. It overrides Shabbat, it overrides Yom Kippur. And the, and the moment is after Amidah? Uh, on, Yom Kippur, I'm, on Yom Kippur, I'm not sure uh, when it's done. But ba following the logic that we studied today, it would happen sometime in the middle of the services. You wouldn't have the in, in, uh, the aspect of blowing the shofar because there is no shofar in Yom Kippur, except at the end, which is a different story. So I'm guessing that it would be um, similar to this. Yep. After the reading of the Torah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. They took probably um, blessing on a wine, isn't it? Wow. Yeah, but um, but you would not have that on Yom Kippur. You would you would have that on Rosh Hashanah. Mm -hmm. Hello, Bill. Hello, I'm sorry, I'm late. I thought it was seven thirty. I'm at eight o'clock. Sorry. Ah, yeah, that yeah. happens. That happens when you have one. Outlier, we've got. Can I, I think. Give, can I give a little side story just for a short one? So when our son was circumcised on the eighth day in New Zealand, at our at our home, we had the moil come up from Wellington up to to Pacific to Palmerston North, and uh, and during the prayers, I'm watching. Like I said, I got to watch this. I can't avoid watching this. You know, and, and comfortable it might be. And I'm looking around. All the prayers are going, and every guy in there is going from down to up to down to up, and never watching. They couldn't bear to watch what could happen. <laughs> I watch. I watch. And with my son getting circumcised, I gotta watch. But uh, Moyo did a good job in the very minute. You said it was during the eighth day. Was, was it Shmini at Saris or? I'm sorry. Was it some, was it some kind of a holiday or just a regular day? Yeah. Oh no, it was the, the eighth day. Report on the, on the, on the uh, 14th, it would have been 22nd of July. So, 8th day of, from his birth, yeah. Eighth, yeah oh, okay. Right. But I mean, the was uh, a big job that the doctors didn't want to do it. In those days, they were going through a period where they were against it. And I had one a urologist who was a Muslim urologist who said, I'll do it if you can't get anybody else. I do all our guys. I'll wow. do it for you. Wow. And then, I, but I called down the Jewish community center and they said you got a moil who's done a lot of it. So. Incredible. Incredible. Yeah, yeah a lot of people uh, get a little queasy about that. If you really want to be an overachiever, you do the bris yourself. I've seen yeah. that done with Isaac Sensino. That the moil sets it up for you and you actually do the cut. The father does the cut because really the responsibility is on the father. And the, what the mole always tells you is, you know, it's your responsibility to do this. You want to do it or you want me to do it? I'll be your agent. So you basically are appointing the mole to be your agent, the father's agent, to do the mitzvah. You know, we had a doctor there and I asked him to do it. He said, look, more than I've done. do a better job. You know, that's, that's such an important point. Uh, a lot of, unfortunately, a lot of people mistakenly think, oh, I'm going to go to an MD and it's going to be much better than a Moel because the MD wears a white coat and, you know, works in a fancy office. But the Moels, that MD that told you that was very honest and told you the truth because the Moels have so much more experience. They know how to do this. They've done it thousands of times. And it's a lot less painful 
the doctors they they strap the kid down they do kind of they, they shoot him up with some novocaine or, or whatever it is and um it's actually a lot more comfortable for the child when it's done by a professional mohel who has the experience of thousands of years of how to get it done we had a mohel yamani mohel that used to i think he's done like three or three and a half generations Wow, 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 wow. Yeah, so, so you know, I think he did it until he was 80, and he would come like, uh... <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. So, yeah. Bakasha. On Shabbat, you cannot ask for, like, you know, God's blessing for yourself, but we are asking, like, you know, say, say, consume Shalom to all that for the community, yeah? Right, but right. You can ask Right, right. Peace, peace. Yeah, that, it's not personal. Yeah, we we actually we have a prayer this week. We read it in English. A new a new pro new protocol. We read Misha Berach in English. That you know mm -hmm. after uh, preceding Musaf, where we bless the community and we ask God to uh, heal their illnesses and so forth. So that's a lot different than asking for our own personal. You know, you, we don't get too anxious when we think about other people's problems. <laughs> okay. Yes. As much as we love everybody, the uh, the anxiety kicks in when it's our personal problems that we're yes. talking about. Sim shalom Rabbi, if you have a bris on the Yom Kippur, you just don't have a celebration with food and wine or anything like that. You just do it and that's it, right? Obviously, right? Exactly. Right. You wouldn't have any food. For the next day. Yeah, yeah. I mean there are there are there are situations, not the fast of Yom Kippur, but lesser fasts or where there is exceptions are made for the for the Mohel, for the father that uh, the halachas changed a little. But Yom Kippur there's no uh, no exception there. Well, gentlemen, this has been another wonderful Torah study session. It's great to see everybody. This Thursday night, I will be in New York for my nephew's wedding. So I don't think I'll be able to give the class. There will probably be an in-person from Brengen. And we try to make a minion Thursday night. Seth Skutsky has yard site. So you'll be hearing more about that. And I will see you, please, God, on Shabbos. I'll be back for Shabbos. And Sunday night, we'll be back with more Laws of Rosh Hashanah. Thank you. Very much. Yes,